the Solicitor's Regulation Authority. It's great to have Anna speaking on the panel today. I'm Tom Pope, the Deputy Chief Economist at the Institute. So our subject today is the role regulators can play in levelling up. The levelling up and regeneration bill was at the heart of the Johnson government's domestic <coughs> agenda. But I think it's fair to say we don't yet know uh, how it's going to feature in a trust government's domestic agenda. Um, and indeed, whether the phrase levelling up is going to be a phrase that we, we continue to use. Um, her cabinet also has a lot of other problems to deal with as well. An energy crisis, a war in Ukraine, and the prospects of an election in the near future. But the state of the economy is a key challenge, and Trust intends a low-tax economic policy to unleash innovation and growth. A key question is how those benefits will be distributed across the UK, and the particular question today is how regulators can change their approaches to ensure that it, that growth is experienced widely. <coughs> Should regulators have specific <coughs> responsibility to consider the regional implications of their activity? And how else can they help in understanding and tackling regional inequalities? Well, we're decide, delighted to have a, an excellent panel to discuss these questions today. On my far right is Paul Scully, MP, who's a Minister of State at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities and has been um, also a Minister for London since February 2020, and he was pr previously based in, the, uh, in Bays. Welcome, Paul. To my left here, we have Anna Bradley, who's the chair of the SRA, an experienced uh, chair and independent <coughs> board member with a strong interest in consumer advocacy, particular expertise in regulation and policy. Uh, she's worked in a wide variety of sectors, including legal services as the past chair of the Council of Licensed Conveyances and the health sector, um, as well, so it's great to have you, um, Anna. Just, and on my uh, immediate right, we have Dame Patricia, Patricia Hodgson, who's the board member of the Centre for Data and Ethics and Innovation and the AI Council, and is Deputy Chair of Policy Exchange, previously Deputy Chair and then Chair of Ofcom, so it's particularly great to have, have you here today. Uh, Patricia, she was also Principal of Newnham College, Cambridge, from 2006 to 2012, um, and uh, previously <coughs> a member of the BBC and, and welcome trusts as well. And finally, to my far left, we have Robert Kahn, who's the Assistant Director for Public Affairs and National Offices at the General Medical Council. Robert leads the team delivering the external affairs and engagement functions of the GMC across the four nations. Um, he had decades of experience at the intersection between law, public policy, and government. So it's great to have you here to discuss these questions, Robert. So just before I start, a few brief housekeeping arrangements. Firstly, this event will be on the record. Um, and there will be a sound recording available on our website um, at some point later. Uh, we'll be tweeting this event using the hashtag <coughs> IFGCons22, so please do uh, join the discussion there if you're that way inclined. Um, and do be thinking about your questions as well. The last 20 minutes to half an hour, we want to leave plenty of time for audience questions. And when we get to that point, please do wait for the mic to come round so we can hear you. And also, it would be great if you could say who you are and where you come from, just so we know who we're speaking to today. Okay, so let's get onto the topic at hand. And Anna, I'll come to you first. So drawing on the SRA's own experience, what's a regulator's perspective <coughs> on levelling up? So um, I, let me start by uh, just saying thank you to everyone, and especially to the IFG for organising this event. Uh, and for everyone to be here, I, I thought we were competing with Kwasi Kwarteng and no one would come. So thank you very much for um, uh, uh, coming to hear us. Um, the SRA just 
very brief background is the largest legal regulator and uh, we regulate 215,000 solicitors and 10,000 firms. Uh, I'll come on to the fact that they vary hugely in scale and uh, nature in a minute. Um, and we very clearly uh, work in the public interest, so uh, a primary objective about protecting the people who use legal services um, uh, and ensuring that uh, the profession live up to the standards that we uh, set. Uh, but we also help support the rule of law and access to justice. So very clearly located in our establishment is a sense of social uh, uh, requirement objective. Um, it, it is a fact that the legal sector is a huge success story, actually, in the UK, um, <coughs> contributing over £60 billion to the economy, but it's also a fact that the benefits of that are very uneven. They're uneven uh, in relation to the provision of legal services, so there's a concentration of large commercial uh, uh, practices and, and even actually of smaller firms, but very much in London uh, uh, and a, a few other big cities. Birmingham is, is, is one. Um, there's uh, a decline in the provision of certain sorts of legal help, uh, um, uh, as you will have read, I'm sure. There's a large number of people, particularly people uh, who are more vulnerable uh, and people in minority groups who simply don't uh, get to access legal help even when it's there. Um, uh, and there's a profession that is, at least at the very top, very unrepresentative of the communities that's, that, that, that they serve and of the population as a whole. So what can we do? Um, well, I'll give you three things, but um, then we can talk about others, I'm sure. So the first is we can make sure that regulation is fit for purpose, uh, that we only regulate where it's appropriate to regulate. And one of the first things the SRA did when it was set up in 2019 was to completely recast the standards that we required the profession to live up to, uh, work, look at establishing them at a principal level rather than a really granular detailed level, which allows more space. For the second thing, which we uh, think is really important, which is about uh, innovation in the sector, particularly tech, uh, partly because it opens up the doorway to delivering uh, different types of services in new ways to some of those people who can't currently access and also uh, 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 in places uh, that aren't, aren't currently well served. So supporting <coughs> innovation and tech is a really big uh, plank of the work that we do. We invest quite a lot of time and energy in that. And the third thing that we do uh, uh, particularly is try to uh, build a much more diverse profession. Uh, a key aspect of that for us has been what is effectively a, a 10 or 15 year programme from kind of, con sort of initial thought through to completion last year, which is a completely new way of uh, um, establishing uh, that people have done, know the right things at the point at which they enter the profession. So the educational standard and the manner in which people are tested has completely changed and we can now put our hands on our heart and say that we know that everyone who qualifies here, hereafter is, is qualifying to the same standard wherever they are and whatever they're doing. Uh, but really importantly, we stripped out some of the things which made it difficult for many people to uh, uh, join the legal profession. Uh, we've made it a much more open playing field and we hope that will increase diversity in the profession going forward. So there's three things. In all of those, what we're trying to do is balance the the clear regulatory objectives with these wider social uh, uh, ambitions which are uh, part of our regulatory framework. Terrific, thank you very much.
Anna, Dame Patricia, I'll come to you next. Do you think regulators should have a responsibility to consider regional inequalities? And how can that be done in a way that promotes business growth and investment? Well, from the way the question is posed, um, although a regulator, I'm clearly going to be the heretic. Um, uh, growth and levelling up are matters for policy before regulation. Um, for schools and higher education policy, infrastructure strategy, public and private investment partnerships. And these things are controversial. Should universities be left to discriminate on admissions by postcode, or should we really be focusing on better schools and catch up pre-university courses? The sort of diversity initiatives that Anna was talking about in her profession. Should the Trans-Pennine route trump HS2? Now, obviously, I believe in regulation. I've done it for 20 years. Uh, it helps. Uh, infrastructure rollout like broadband through return on capital frameworks and competition. But it's government that funds broadband when the markets won't. And regulation above all is for consumers. Think health and safety or making bank switching easier. And to do those jobs well, regulators must be independent of politics, focused and imposing as small a burden as it takes to be effective. <coughs> 25 years, politicians, of course, not you, have tried to offload controversial policies onto regulation. Think Ofgem, diverted from investment pricing and consumer tasks into carrying out government energy policy. That went well, didn't it? Regulators aren't accountable as governments are to the voters. And when caught in political storms, they lose their authority. So if we want regulators to protect citizens and consumers, they need to be focused on just that, and as independent and seen to be so as they can be. My sector, high tech, uh, far more can be done through investment zones, government infrastructure funds, and partnership grants to kick off public-private collaboration. You mentioned take the National, Digital, the National Centre for Digital Innovation in, in Cheshire. Uh, it <coughs> works on that value chain of computing, digital data and AI, which will be so important for our prosperity around the country. Uh, it does so in partnership with local SMEs, big businesses like IBM, Rolls-Royce, um, Ford, as well as the Atomic Energy Authority and US labs. That's where the north of England should be in, in the global world. Um, and it's planning three more hubs like that across the country. So focus on action, not regulation. And government in my sector <coughs> understands this. Its new AI policy recommends letting regulation <coughs> evolve sector by sector subject to the usual overarching principles, you know, accountability, transparency, redress, and so on. No <laughs> new statutory duties. And this is not only wise with a technology central to prosperity and levelling up, but brave. Big companies like regulation because they can afford it and their small competitors can't. And too often regulators like it too because it creates jobs. But what we need is action, and don't think regulators can do it for you. Less regulation for prosperity and levelling up, not more. Great, thank you very much. 
Patricia, it's always good to have a bit of debate on these panels. Robert, I'll come to you next. Do you think there are particular opportunities for regulators to support levelling up, maybe in some sectors more than others? <coughs> I'm thinking particularly about, I suppose, cons consumer and public-facing well, regulators. Thank, thank you, Tom. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's always good that a debate uh, opens up so quickly in a meeting like this. <laughs> um, and I think, I, I think of the two uh, propositions we've had, of the heretical one and the, perhaps the more we can level up, I think I'm probably falling a little bit in the middle. Did they say we couldn't level up? I said, don't think regulators can do it for you. Absolutely. And I think I wanted to make a second heretical point, and I think, um, I think this was touched on as well. And, of course, we can all have debates about the proper ambit of regulation. Should it be politics? Should it not be politics? Um, to what extent should we regulate? And of course, you can see over the last, well, post-war politics, different political parties have different ideas about how much we should regulate. Some parties wanting bonfires of controls, other parties wanting right-touch regulation and using regulation more as a lever of, of public policy. I guess my, my challenge is that levelling up certainly was the focus of the Boris Johnson administration, and now we have the new administration, which is focused on going for growth. The trouble with going for growth is it does seem to mean a lot of uh, deregulation in terms of the supply side. But then if you read Michael Gove's, I think, quite excellent paper published in February, 350 pages, it seems to be one of the most interventionist government documents I've ever seen. So that's just an interesting bit of heresy um, as well. Looking, uh, answering, um, Tom, your exam <coughs> question, um, I work for the General Medical Council, and in case you don't know, our role is to um, regulate doctors, so there's a number of aspects to that, including um, allowing entry for the register for doctors to practice, setting standards that doctors need to follow, including ethical standards, and taking fitness to practice action when those standards aren't met, and overseeing <coughs> doctors' education and training. But our principal purpose is to ensure patient safety, and that's our core function by statute. So you might say, well, what's the GMC got to do with any um, levelling up agenda? Is that really a right place for a regulator to do. And I, and I, I can certainly t see that point, but I do think regulators like us can act as a catalyst to assist others, policymakers, in, in their policy objectives there. So just to give a few brief examples, we have a wealth of data uh, insight that can be used by government system and stakeholders. Um, we know, for example, that GPs are more likely to practice in affluent areas rather than less affluent areas. And I know the Health Foundation has done work on that. So we could certainly use our uh, ability to add data to the system to help. Um, for example, we also, um, there was an interesting debate, wasn't there, last week at Labour Party Conference about doubling the number of medical student bases, um, which of course is slightly rate limited by the funding that is made available for it. But it's certainly arguable that putting a university in a deprived area can really kickstart the economy. And I think we have a role in the GMC, not of deciding where those institutions go, but making sure they're quality assured and that we can do that. Uh, effectively and fast. And my last example, I think, is on equality, diversity, and inclusion, which really li sort of links in to um, a levelling up agenda. I think more broadly, we're certainly aware from from our data and our work and our research that there is a lot of differential attainment even within the medical education system, uh, and that can be on the basis of, uh, of race or sex or other areas where uh, differential attainment should not pertain. Uh, and so we're doing a lot of work over ten years to try and see what we can to ameliorate uh, and, and make that less. So I guess my answer is I'm not heretical. I don't think regulators have all the answers, but I do think it <coughs> can be a catalyst to help others make some change. Excellent. Thanks very much, Robert. So over to you, Paul. What have you made of what you've heard so far? What Thank role you. do you think regulators play 
Thank you. No, thank you very much. I, I, I struggled with this a little bit earlier on, actually, when I was trying to think of what to say, because I can tell you about leveling up, which I will in a second, and the, some of the thoughts about where we're going with this. But um, in, in terms of, um, you know, I tend to lean towards Dame Patricia in terms of the, the fact that we need regulators that are fit for purpose, as, uh, as Anna said, absolutely. They need to adapt and maybe I'll uh, widen that in a, in, a, in a level. But I agree that actually levelling up is very much a, a, a policy uh, lever. It's a, it's a regulator, I suppose, have, has a, a role within the leadership of an area, of which governance in an area is a big aspect of the white paper and, and what we're trying to achieve. But just to um, cover, first of all, the, uh, the, the, the uh, idea about where we're going with a trust government, my department still has levelling up in the title. I don't think we're going through a brand change anytime soon. Uh, well, we've been through enough brand changes in DLUC, MHCLG and, and the like, but uh, I don't think we're going for, for one soon. Because levelling up is still very much at the heart of what we are doing as a government. Yes, we're going for growth. We have to go for growth. There's no real alternative. But they're not mutually exclusive in terms of just breaking the orthodoxy of the stagnation that we've had, not just in the UK, but in the, in the Western economies for, for probably about 10, 15 years now. Um, and so we need to make sure both things are true. Um, and when we're talking about levelling up, that is going for growth, yes, economic uh, point of view, hence investment zones are a real cornerstone of, uh, of our announcements over the last couple of weeks, but also um, inequalities and, uh, and, and working out through disparities and the uh, kind of educational outcomes that uh, Patricia was talking about. But And that all comes under... Um, uh, good leadership in that in that local area. You start with levelling up people. That's the sort of my definition of uh, of, of levelling up. Work on you know work from the premise of you're trying to give people the equal opportunities. What they do with their opportunities is up to them, but uh, making sure that they everybody can realise their potential. But then you clear, clearly quickly get into geography, you quickly get into infrastructure and other things um, to try and resolve that. Well, depending on where people live. So that's absolutely there. Uh, then, but then I, I suppose where you look at a regulator, what, what it can do, yes, it's got to be fit for purpose. Uh, those, that would be regulators, I suspect, first of all, adapting for uh, what is coming in terms of new jobs mm -hmm. in, around the area and new, new areas of interest for the respective regulators. Uh, now that's not just levelling up, That's uh, whether it's net zero, whether it's just uh, technological advances, whether it's medical ad advances and the like, these things are coming. We, we know that the, uh, uh, there are plenty of jobs that are, uh, our children and grandchildren are going to have in the next 20 years that are, haven't even been thought of now. And so we need to make sure that a regulator can adapt to that, uh, that new normal uh, as it comes up. And that may well be that different regions are working in different areas. Um, uh, working at different speeds and the regulator needs to make sure that it's not just going, becoming London centric or Edinburgh centric or whatever it's actually mm -hmm. being able to do its job effectively wherever those businesses uh, and organisations are based really interesting to, and Robert's absolutely right to talk about data uh, massive um, amount of feedback that we can get in terms of our um, policy levers uh, through the, the kind of data and collaboration that regulators can, can, can work with. You, I was a consumer minister for whilst in Bayes, um, and so I used to speak to the regulators a lot about what we could do around smart data, how we can use the lessons from open banking mm -hmm. uh, to actually widen it out to, to look at smart data in other areas. And we were bringing the regulators together 
not to say you've got to take on a whole other role. You're absolutely right. You don't want to be uh, shoving a whole other stuff to regulators to do. But how can we leverage your experience and, uh, and what you know? You're the experts in this field for us to then be able to work collaboratively um, without um, without mission creep. I think that that's that's mm -hmm. the key thing mm -hmm. that we want to keep you doing the job that you're great at, uh, but not piling on stuff which then allows someone, if you get you know, another chief exec or chairman or whatever come in and think, you know what, I want to go off in this direction, stick to what you're good at and, uh, you know, and let's work together on other areas. So uh, that's probably where I'd go. It's actually, I, as I say, I think making sure that regulators um, can focus on the change that's coming their way as their respective industries change um, and respond to levelling up work with organizations local leaderships universities um and uh business groups and, and the like in your local area but don't necessarily feel that you have to be driving that leveling up we're working with the grain we're all working with the grain i think is the point great thanks can i, can I commend yes that my comment that's absolutely right <laughs> it's music to my ears um uh, regulators knowledge is terrifically important for government mm. Um, my colleagues are, as it were, professional sector mm -hmm. regulators, standards uh, mm. regulators. I'm a sect I was a sector regulator in terms of one of the big drivers yeah. uh, of the economy. And somehow or other, you have to, at the same time as informing each other between the government and the regulator, the government has to hold on to, in its department's skills. Because what became clear when Ofcom started 20 years ago was... Everybody moved out of government. I mean, a whole of spectrum planning. Mm. Uh, and DCMS struggled for years and years and years to know what was going on in the sector. You don't want, you want the regulator to be able to inform government, but not to become some sort of adjudicator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because big business will always hit, get in before you do, because of the power mm -hmm. a big global company um, wheels in the land and you don't want to be then going in saying oh, I wouldn't do that minister if I were you you know yeah. the department has to retain the ability to be the adjudicator and the policy maker while taking information yeah I suppose, yeah absolutely right I mean the one bit of Ofcom that came my way when I was in Bayes I was also the minister for postal affairs there was there's a theme here that's who's the minister <laughs> for oh it's me uh, and, um, that's I looked after postal affairs for a while and of course Ofcom uh, have the remit of looking at um, the universal service obligation of what Royal Mail has to uh, ha has to deliver, how many days, etc. Um, you get delivery, you get. But in terms of reporting back, uh, they do the needs analysis. But then it ultimately, it is mm. government yeah. and Parliament to mm. make those decisions, and it's really important to keep those uh, those pillars. Mm. And yeah, yeah. And Anna, I, Anna, I'd love to come to you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, I must have sounded like I was burning to say something. I so when I was thinking about this, I I, I think the um, a, a really important thing is to think about where the synergies are, which is not to challenge the independence of the regulator, yeah. but for the regulator to be clear what it is that it wants to achieve, uh, and how it might be able to use that to help deliver a policy which is absolutely the government's mm. or to, to take it to take it forward in some way simply by making something available quite often so 
so if, if I could give you an example, one of the things that, um, that we've been doing is uh, um, bidding for funds along with other people from the regulation, Re Regulatory Pioneer Fund and we've been lucky enough to get fu funds a couple of times and most recently what we've been working on is how we can use the data we have about provision of legal services across the country mm. to combine it with a number of other data sets about deprivation and uh, the like uh, in order to create a, a digital map of, of England and Wales which shows where there's provision, where there's need, and, and obviously, therefore, where there is considerable un, unmet need. Now, it's not for us as a regulator to do anything about that, but we have the data. So make, putting the data out there and making it available to other people means that, for example, third sector organisations who want to bid for funds from a variety of funding sources to do something in relation to legal advice in a particular area have that evidence base which says, here, this is a place where there is a real need, whether it's small businesses or, 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 or ordinary consumers, and there is no provision, and that's why we're putting in this funding bid. So, so it's just, it, in a way, you could say it's a small thing, but it's but it's something which allows other things to happen, mm. and it's building on what you already have and just making it more widely available. Oh, that's really interesting. And yeah, Robert. Yeah, I'm just 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 reflecting on the role that regulators do have in that in that area, and I think it is quite rich and valuable place for them to be. I, I remember I was involved in the, the setting up of, of CQC 10 years ago and there was mm. quite a live debate in Parliament about whether it should be just be a regulator that marked the homework of the providers or should it have a more free-form uh, improvement function and there were quite spirited debates in Parliament about that time and eventually amendments were passed to give it a real um, focus as an improvement body rather than just sort of marking the homework and I think that's, that's a really interesting area to, to think about. Um, also, as well, well as in the SRA, the GMC, we do a number of reports. Um, so, for example, we do the State of Medical Education Practice, which we're going to be publishing in a few weeks' time, which looks at trends in the doctor workforce, trends in the medical student workforce, um, issues around burnout, really sort of rich data. It's not for us to really have a political position on that, absolutely not for us to have a political position, but for us to put that data into the, sort of the political comedy for, for politicians to make decisions about what needs to be done. That's great, and I think, uh, as often happens with, with apparent disagreements on a panel, you quite quickly converge into a more agreement, which is excellent. I do want to probe one thing that you said, Patricia, a bit more, because I think there, there are almost two things that we're talking about here. One is where a regulator might look at the government, see what their policy is, and almost try to preemptively do things that are helpful. And then there's, all, then there's also the government actively giving new objectives to regulators to try to almost regulation as a policy tool from the government's yeah. perspective and providing objectives and you I mean you particularly I think were railing against the second of those although the first as well I wonder Paul if I could come to you do you think there is this temptation for for, for ministers to sort of give some difficult if there's a difficult yeah. policy question lump it onto regulators yeah yeah <laughs> 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 uh, but I suppose you know that, do you call them a regulator in the CMA were really interesting because they were they come into my remit uh, formerly in, in base and um, crikey I was the guy that put through the U UK internal markets bill and then the subsidy control bill and gave them two massive new roles um, to, to, to do it fitted within their expertise because um, the CMA sort of do cross over slightly that's why I asked if they were you do call, call them a regulator because they sort of they slightly wider. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's, it's a slightly wider remit that they have in the first place. Mm. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, quirky. You know, what a politician does not, you know, look at. Oh, oh there's a tempting easy option over there. Um, but actually, what you tend to find, though, that um, 
it's tempting, but it often comes back to bite you mm. when you, 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 you ask these questions and the, the, the politics that Patricia was talking about uh, becomes tricky and you find you haven't got any levers because you've handed the levers across to the regulator. Yeah. So it, it works both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And Patricia, I wonder if you could say a bit more maybe about your experience in regulators yeah. where you've had those potentially sure. competing objectives. Um, well, it's pretty clear that I'm unambiguous about not wanting to be given statutory duties that are outside the framework of a particular regulator. And, the, and of course, the duties of, of regulators are terribly, terribly difficult, different. They may be um, uh, professional, they may be big sectoral regulators, they may not actually be regulators, they may be agencies. You know, there's a hundred of these, mm. these mm. or more, and we're not very precise at saying what they are. Mm. And, and I'm obviously speaking from experience for the big sectoral regulators. Um, so you get, first of all, you get the little, well, we'll write to you annually and tell you what strategy priorities you should respect. Mm. Now you've got, or Ofcom had, for example, statutory duties to balance the interests of the citizen and consumer with a whole load of good mm. things that were very generalised but left. Now, government starts saying, well actually we've got one that's not quite any of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, um, you know as well as I do that the minister sends a, a letter and it sort of says, take account of. Mm. And you say, oh, yes, Minister. <laughs> and then you try and do a professional balance, mm. but you try and do it to your statutory duties and mm. to what you think mm. Mm. the outcome for the citizens and consumers or whatever your duties mm. are. Um, I, I worry about you saying, and then we look at what government policies are, and I'm sure you weren't saying, see if we could serve them, because they might be different next year and yeah. different after an election. I guess what you are talking about is that all regulators operate in a society and a culture where you must uh, be aware of the entire framework. So, for example, I'm old enough to know when four-letter words on television were an absolute no-no. Uh, now, <laughs> we spend our time telling people mm. at what hour of the day you can use the F word or the yeah, C yeah, word, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, yeah, that's not a matter for government. We've just got a, you know, in my area, a responsibility. Um, one of the most interesting ones is um, 20 years ago, last time I ever had anything to do with editorial guidelines, we outlawed showing people how to commit suicide on television. Mm. Last night I watched two demonstrations on public service broadcasters of how to do it. Mm. Now that's as nothing compared with social media mm. oh, yeah. and I see the uh, um, uh, temperature changing and <coughs> government responding but uh, on the one hand without any guidance I think the regulator would interpret its duties according to what its um, what it smelt and, and survey results about what the public mm. thought. Uh, but if government chose to legislate, as I suspect the pressure may lead them to do so, then that's straightforward mm. because government is accountable for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's terribly, terribly difficult mm. and different yes. in every sector. Yeah. Yeah, would you so like to talk about the, sort of the way it's different at SRA? Yeah, so I was, I was, I just, just on this point about, so how do we relate to government policy. Mm. So um, 
Uh, yeah, like every regulator, we have statu statutory duties. We don't have the same relationship that the sectoral regulators have with with departments, um, government departments. Uh, um, so, so, so we are to that extent completely independent um, uh, of, of, of government. But, but like every institution, I would say, uh, not just regulators, we spend quite a lot of time looking at. Uh, the environment around us and uh, what's changing. Mm. So you talk, Paul, about what's changing, you know, mm. climate change, mm. this, mm. What, whatever it is. And part of looking at that is, is the policy environment. And one of the reasons that we look at that is because it tells us uh, uh, sort of something about what we're going to find difficult doing in relation to our, our, our regulatory objectives and where actually there might be a fair wind and it would be a really good mm -hmm. moment to pursue something within our regulatory objectives but which gives mm -hmm. but but now is the moment because there's there's a an increased need there's a there's an increased appetite for it for whatever reason and that could be policy so that's what I meant mm -hmm. and um, uh, uh, and I so so that's when when I'm talking about synergies what I'm what I'm talking about is the that actually sometimes government policy presents opportunities to pursue something that you want to pursue which you were got you you, know, you had in mind it's within your objectives you're not being forced outside uh, your, your 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 natural uh, arena have you said that I mean on the point of new objectives being being set um, I, I, absolutely they do and you know there's a case in point in relation to legal regulations so the economic crime bill has uh, a proposition that there will be a new uh, 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 statutory requirement for regulators uh, such as us mm. uh, to pursue uh, uh, and deal with economic crime now actually we are and we have been for some time but of course it's very much of the moment and that's you know we all we, we all know why um, whether that will be one of those that comes back to bite everyone or not, I suspect probably probably not. But it's making very explicit something which yeah. is already in it, it, in effect happening. And there's this constant interplay between what what changes in the statutory mm. framework and uh, and what you do. Mm. Um, but yeah, policy is one of those horizon scanning things that you take account of and see uh, uh, what it mean might mean for you. I think one thing that's come out quite strongly, where we I think most people agree to it, regulators do have a role is in providing data and I suppose ensuring that those policy decisions are well informed. Mm. Mm. And I wonder, Robert, do you feel like GMC has good, good ways to, sort of good channels into government mm. to ensure that you are informing decisions that, they, that your data is being used, for example? Yeah, and again, it comes back to that question about regulatory uh, independence, isn't it? And we do have, you know, we are, we are, uh, we are also, um, well, when you say completely independent of government, I always think, can a regulator ever be completely independent of government when a government has the power to abolish that regulator? So is it independence in the same way that the editor of the Times has complete editorial independence from his proprietor? So, you know, I'll just leave that question hanging. So, but, but within that overall context, I think the relationship that regulators should have should be, I think, cordial but not cosy. We do have very good yeah. links with our sponsor team. So, for example... During COVID, we, we had a temporary emergency register that allowed medics to come back onto the register to fight against COVID, but that had to be triggered by the Secretary of State in order to allow us to do that. So mm. there's a sort of symbiotic relationship. So I think I think it is it is quite a difficult environment to travel. I, I did like um, David Patricia's point about but actually slavishly following government policy will never get you anywhere. And I hope this isn't too controversial, but I was doing a list of the different policy approaches just in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. I will say we've had the big society, uh, and then when I think we had alarm clock Britain, but I think that may have been more Nick Clegg. <laughs> then we had just about managing, then we had levelling up, 
and now we've got going for growth. So I think slavery trying to fit yourself in any of those boxes may, may be um, not probably the wisest course. No, that, that's very interesting. Another way in which I suppose regulators can be informed and bring this, this back slightly to the more specifics of, of levelling up and regional inequality, I mean, there's a question about where regulators choose to locate, for example. I don't know, Anna, whether you think that there's a sort of a responsibility for regulators to, to think about where, where, they're, where they're employing people, for example. So I, th I think there's a, 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 well, so I think two things. One is, uh, there's no question that in our experience, as I think with lots of people's, a hybrid working model opens up the opportunity to have uh, working hubs much more broadly across uh, the country than, than you would otherwise be able to do. So um, uh, we're, we're opening up an office in Cardiff. We were planning to do that anyway, but actually what, 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 has, um, what the last two years has created the opportunity for us to do is to recruit a number of uh, much m many more people not just servicing the Welsh agenda but actually just because they happen to, to live in those areas whether it's the southwest or, 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 or Wales so so I think there is more opportunity in that respect but I think the idea that we should uh, sort of relocate and redistribute ourselves uh, regionally is 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 uh, not not the right one. I don't think it's, it, it is about location, but I think it is about connection. So I think it's really important that that regulators are visible in all the arenas in which they're 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 regulating, including geographically. So 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 you know we travel the country, and um, uh, and I think that's really that that's really important. And when we go to places, we make sure that we meet with. All the kind of stakeholders that you would expect the legal profession but not only the legal profession um, and um, a, a lot of third sector uh, groups etc and I think I think that actually is much more important than the physical location of a regulator uh, but that's just that's just kind of common sense and, and you know modern regulators do that they don't sit in an ivory tower in Canary Wharf uh, anymore uh, and and, uh, and 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 sort of uh, decree from from on high they are out there in the constituencies that uh, that, that 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 benefit from their regulation excellent well i think we can now go to the audience for some questions so please do raise your hands i'll take a few at a time so we'll start with the gentleman down here um, my name is elliot i'm a, I'm a solicitor so uh -huh. I, I know and fear the sra <laughs> oh, <I'm laughs> <surely not. laughs> um, so so i've been at a number of leveling up events and uh, the, the general theme is that you have investment zones or free ports and that, that kind of thing. So, so in that sense, you have reduced taxation, perhaps, of businesses, or you have reduced regulation. Um, and so I know about uh, lawyers, lawyers' business. So, so I thought that perhaps, given that uh, lawyers' services will, especially British lawyers' lawyer services, will now be, uh, in the next 20 years, transported across the globe, that maybe what you'd have... Um, is that you'd have certain places in England and Wales where perhaps solicitors' tax rates would be lower if they, if they moved to a certain area, or, and this is a bit more contentious, the regulations, certain regulations, would be reduced in certain uh, zones for lawyers. It, and would that be a good idea? That's my question. Great, thanks very much. And then, gentlemen at the front here. Hello, Martin Kopak. Um, I'm not a solicitor, but and I used to be my boss, so I know and fear her as well. Um, 
So uh, I'm the director of Fair by Design. We exist to eliminate the poverty premium. That's the extra cost that poorer people pay for essential services, so energy, credit, insurance. Um, and we work to bring together regulators, but actually policymakers and te technical people and regulators to work with people in the community in poverty to come up with the best solution. The biggest problem here, though, is that the best solution doesn't fit the remit of the regulator because people's lives are messy and they don't meet regulatory boundaries. And the biggest issues, I've, I've worked in consumer advocacy for 20 years. I'm an ex-regulator too, or a reformed regulator maybe. <laughs> and um, the biggest issue to get sorted is when it comes to income because nobody wants to touch the area around can you afford um, this, this, this um, product or service? So you, you are, you're more costly to serve, so let the market prevail. And the, the, we spend half our, well, actually most of my time, going between regulator, government department, another regulator, government department, CMA, Treasury, Ofgem. What are your thoughts or any advice to us in the third sector who've been working on this for 20 years? How do we have a transparent process where we can get regulators and government departments in the room at the same time so they can't point at each other and come up with a better way for serving those who aren't at the table? Thank you. Great, thank you. And then any further questions just behind there? Oh, just, just there, thank you. Uh, Ross Gurdon, TSB Bank. Uh, it's kind of building on your question actually about the, the way a decision interacts, not necessarily vertically but horizontally. So, uh, my question was around where a decision might make sense from a kind of a narrow view of the best interests of that sector, but where it has much broader impacts. The example I would give would be in fraud. In so, what? fraud. So, I would imagine everyone in the room has probably received a, a fake text and some people will have clicked on that. Those that did will have uh, gone to their bank and got a refund from their bank or not got a refund from their bank. So the cost ends up falling to other sectors, either the people who don't get the refund or on the bank's balance sheet. That's money that banks can't invest, can't lend, can't invest in new products and services. So whilst we appreciate from a, from a very kind of parochial view, decisions might make sense, but how can regulators kind of interact and think about the decisions in the macro sense, sorry. <laughs> Great, thank you very much. So we, we've got three questions there. One about investment zones, and I suppose a broader question about whether, whether and when it might make sense for regu regulations to kind of vary nationally and not be the same everywhere. Specific question about solicitors' taxes, but I think we might be able to broaden it slightly. Um, and then uh, the question about the sort of communication between regulators and departments, how do we ensure that I know they're not just sort of people are going back and forth, back and forth, particularly with a, a third sector view. And then I think that, that third question about how do regulators ensure that they consider the broader impacts of their decisions and not just narrowly in the interest of their sectors. I'll start with Robert and go down to Paul and feel free to take as many of those questions as you like. I'll probably avoid some of the more consumer-focused <laughs> questions, if, sure. if I may. I mean, but, but just touching on the question about the, the lowering of regulatory standards, if that's the the right word and to encourage innovation. I think that is an area in maybe in the more consumer side where you could certainly do that. And I know that the SRA has certainly been innovating very well in, in that area in the last few years. But when it comes to, I'm afraid when it comes to the standard, professional standards of doctors, we won't be varying the regulatory <laughs> standards anywhere uh, or, or innovating in that way because that's a matter of life um, and limb. And, and I'll just maybe go to the last question in terms of regulators collaborating. I mean, certainly for the GMC, we absolutely see it as our role to collaborate with other 
health regulators, so that's not just other professional regulators like the Nursing and Midwifery Council and others, but also, particularly in England, I'll give an England example, the Care Quality Commission, which is the, the system regulator. And over the last few years, we've been coming together much more closely to share our data. So, for example, we have data on fitness to practice issues in maternity, and we know there's big issues in maternity. The CQC has its, its system regulatory data, and the NMC has also got data about nurses. So what we're doing is coming together and pooling our data to see what hospitals and what maternity units might actually be sparking issues and problems, and then trying to get in and deal with those upstream before they actually become a, a problem. So regulatory collaboration and alignment is something we're very, very much focused on. Excellent. Well, I'd better deal with solicitors first. Um, so, so I mean, the, the tool that I was describing earlier on, the digital mapping of, of, of legal service provision, I think, is the kind of thing which should lead government to ask the question, well, how do we get improved legal services in certain areas? They may be the, the zones in which there's, the, 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 there's a, a, an ambition for more investment or not. I don't think it's our job to do that, but I do. But, but by providing the tool and identifying the areas, I think it is absolutely the job of others to then say, well, how do, uh, and, and how do we address it? Um, and but, but, but so, so to the question of, of do we lower regulation uh, in those areas, um, absolutely not. I don't think there's any world in which a consumer who happens to live in one, that, one of those areas, mm. or indeed a small mm -hmm. business who happens to live in one of those areas, deserves a lesser quality of professional advice than in another area. But having said that, one of the things that we're very interested in is whether there are some ways in which legal service provision could be adjusted. For instance, could we unbundle certain sorts of services so that you could get access to certain sorts of advice without having to, 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 to pay for the fully-fledged service? And I, I think that, that kind of thing, thinking about new regulatory approaches for different sorts of legal service, is definitely something that we would, we, we, we would take on the nose. So that's, that's taken a lot of my time, and I don't want to go on too much about other things, but I would say there's a there's a there's a there's a sort of similarity actually between the two questions in the sense that they're both about bringing people together, and and it stems from the fact that actually of course as individuals we none of us live our lives in the boundaries of individual regulators. You know we don't we just that's just not the way we live, um, and and I absolutely believe that it, it that it it behoves us as regulators to recognise the way people live their lives and think about what we need to do beyond what is in our grasp. Uh, and that's why our, our, the SRA strategy that we published three years ago, no one will have read it, but one of the things that's really important in it is that it talks about working with others. And I see more, more and more regulators actually working together. You know, on, on financial crime, we work with the FSA, or FCA, of course we, we do, and with other legal regulators and accountancy regulators. So I think more of this happens. And what could you do to make it happen better? I think you need to find a friendly regulator, Martin, who will facilitate bringing everyone together in a forum and, and kind of say to other people, you've got to play your part in this. Uh, um, uh, so, um, yeah, find a sponsor regulator is what would be my advice. I, I, assume you're not, I assume you're not volunteering. It depends what it is. It depends what it is. It's all about cutting Solicitor's 45p tax rate. <laughs> well, the government's just rode back on that, so I don't think... <laughs> Patricia. Um, you're obviously right, uh, Anna. You cannot have different standards according to where you live in the country. So I think probably the question was asked about other things rather than that. So we would need to come back to that. Um, all utilities, of course, have their various schemes, don't they? Vulnerable um, mm. consumer 
pricing schemes. And part of the problem is to enforce those and also to bring them to the attention of the vulnerable customer, who's probably the least likely to go online and find their way through the system. And I, again, I think Anna's right about regulators sharing. It, it then becomes a political problem again, because if you set up a scheme for the vulnerable, the other customers have to pay for it, and so very difficult, but extremely important. Um, on uh, fraud, uh, partly I suspect we're talking about problems of financial regulation. Ten regulators in the financial business dealing with some of the most powerful global institutions in the world. You have to be a pretty brave, a pretty able and a pretty determined regulator to make sure the banks do dish out and no responsibility, you agreed, you know, all that stuff. Um, uh, it's clearly extremely important. I think it's one of the big issues coming down the pike and it may well end up um, with the politicians giving it a shove, I would have thought. <laughs> Which goes very nicely to you, Paul. Which direction are we going to shove it, I was going to say, yes. I'm, I'm not sure we're going to have a legal cluster of uh, investment zone <laughs> any, any time soon. It's very much about new growth, I think, and uh, clearly um, a good solicitor uh, and good lawyers of all sorts can um, encourage growth, can foster growth alongside businesses, but I'm not sure uh, a whole load of them in one area would be too good a target, wouldn't it, for someone to I'm sure. Um, in terms of uh, regulators getting together, I mean, you know, I dealt, as I say, I partly did that with, in Bayes with more about smart data and some consumer consumer discussions, but we had all, um, all the regulators that were relevant to me in within Bayes doing that. And the more we can foster that in, with other regulators in other departments, I think it would be good. So whether it's the sponsor regulator that uh, Anna was talking about or whether it's um, you know, talking to ministers to try and get them to lean in a little bit and show, show a continual interest, not just a, a one-off meeting, I think that, that's always got to be a good thing. So you're exchanging information, even if it's different regulators in different areas, that, you know, there will always be some sort of common ground and best practice that you can grab. Uh, for that, I would just say um, when you mentioned about you know having, whether you have lower regulations, I think it's the key because this again is another discussion that's coming through at the moment with Jacob taking over Bayes. He's been he, we've had a business they've got the business day today in in, in conference and SM, a lot of SMEs around yesterday, and he was making the call out as he's done before about right tell me the regulations you want to get rid of in terms of business regulations. Um, so if you start looking in other areas, the temptation would all be oh yeah let's just cut regulation. Um, yes, we want to make things easier for people, but the whole point is good regulation is a confidence booster mm -hmm. for both, not just for the consumer, but for the businesses themselves. Uh, and that can actually create markets, it can develop markets. You're not doing it just to give someone a job or to set up a cottage industry, you're doing it to protect people and, and to, to, um, to build that confidence. Um, but bad regulation clearly is just a cost of business, it's just a bit of a waste of everyone's time. So that's filtering those two things, I think, are important. Excellent. I think we have time for one more round of questions. So we've got the gentleman at the back there, and then over. Uh, hi, I'm Matthew Vickers from uh, Ombudsman Services, so we're the Energy and Telecoms Ombudsman. Um, interested, as regulators are moving a lot more to some of this outcomes and principles focus, um, and Paul's touched there on the importance of trust, you know, in particular, as we're transforming markets, trust is so key to it. 
It, it will take us naturally, or it means I, I think regulators need to think a lot more about execution. You know, regulators spend a lot of time thinking about distributional fairness, but you've got to, you've got to have executional fairness as well. You've got to end up with things happening uh, in Micronesia, if I can call it that, that actually drive trust, uh, whereas regulators tend to live in Macronesia, where it's all about Schumpeter's theories and all of this stuff. So, question about how do... Um, what role should regulators have in building that kind of executional capability in building better um, businesses to serve consumers better? Great, thank you. And then the gentleman over here. Um, yeah, hi, James Bolton-Jones from the charity Spotlight on Corruption. Um, this is quite a specific question for Anna Bradley. Um, but <laughs> So you mentioned, um, for example, the new um, statutory requirement for certain regulators to consider economic crime. Mm. I was wondering, um, hoping to get your view on the uh, new provision in the Economic Crime and Transparency Bill on um, allowing the SRA to levy unlimited fines on certain on, on, uh, lawyers and law firms and um, to what extent that might help uh, sort of level the playing field, I suppose, because so far fines have tended, with one sort of notable exception, to be levied on smaller firms and how that might um, change, possibly. Thank Sorry, you. I missed the last bit. So uh, fines um, for, by the SRA um, levied on, on lawyers and law firms have tended to, tended to be, for, for breaches of the money laundering regulations, have tended to be um, on smaller firms. Wondering what the new uh, provision in, in the Economic Crime and Transparency Bill might mean um, for the SRA and, and um, targeting uh, larger firms for breaches of the money laundering regulations. Thank you. Thank you. And then do we have one more question in the room? Okay, in that case, I might abuse my privileges towards the end. Um, okay, so we have two, two questions there. One that I think is probably just, just for you, Anna, and then one about um, sort of outcomes and principles focus, the, the role of regulators to, to build trust, and I think also to, to build good businesses as well. Um, Anna, I'll perhaps let you go. Yeah, first. just on the specific, because yeah. uh, and briefly we can talk about it afterwards if if, if that's helpful. But um, but 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 I mean we we have a regime at the moment where we can uh, uh, we can uh, levy fines on uh, certain sorts of business, uh, alternative businesses, uh, uh, business structures of up to 25 million, but we can only uh, fine uh, other firms up to 20, 25. So this is this is a very our regime is not uh, equal hand, even handed. Um, so, so to that extent, uh, we, we welcome uh, an extension of, of fining provisions. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't recognise what you say about small firms being uh, particularly targeted in terms of money laundering, um, but there's no question that being able to levy much bigger fines will mean that we, we the SRA, can take more action against uh, uh, big companies directly without having to ref refer them to the tribunal. So, uh, um, so, so, so it puts more in our control uh, without having to refer to that. Com with that comes responsibility for doing it really efficiently and effectively. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it, it's quite a big topic. So pick, pick, pick it up um, afterwards. Um, do you want me to go on to Please the? Do, yeah. So in relation to uh, um, trust and execution of capability, so I wasn't quite sure whether you were talking about execution of capability in relation to the businesses we regulate. Is that? Um, probably a bit broader, so unless you get good execution, you won't get the outcomes that you want, and that gets more complicated for regulators because the risk isn't always in who you regulate. Yeah, so I mean, our, in terms of our own execution, I think, you know, uh, absolutely critical that I always say, and uh, you know, I think most regulators uh, feel like this, that 
if, if you don't get it right yourself, it's very difficult to point the finger at other people who haven't got it right. So I think it's, it's, it's pretty critical. And, um, you know, our ability to process uh, complaints and enforcement activity at, the, at, at, at a good pace um, and at a good quality and standard is really important because that's when we're having a go at people for not doing it well. Mm. So, so I think it's hugely important and it builds trust across the whole of the profession uh, that we have to regulate the whole of the sector actually. Uh, in firms, so I think there's a very interesting um, question for all regulators. So I used to work at the FSA um, and um, one of the things that we were constantly debating there was the extent to which we could really reach into firms and uh, 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 tell people the way that we thought they should be doing things and we didn't. Um, so we focused on the outcome they should be achieving and I think most regulators will do that, that what they will be interested in is what comes out but, but, but fettering commercial entities and telling them and this is the way you should be doing it so you can tell them that executional kind of consistency is really important but you can't, you, you, you can't tell them how they should be doing it, that, that is uh, over, overreach uh, writ large I think. Great. Robert, do you have any further thoughts on that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to, to look about the question about um, outcomes focus, I'm no expert on the work of Joseph Shumpter, so I might put that aside <laughs> to, to one point. But in terms of upstream regulation, outcomes focused regulation, absolutely agree with that. And, and, and I touched on it in my earlier answer. We're very much interested in um, sorting problems before they become problems. So upstream regulation. So I think the old model of professional regulation, certainly in the medical world, is wait for a big mistake or a big ethical breach to be made and then try and take regulatory action. Whereas we want to get upstream and stop those from happening in the first place. And that's why we, over the last three years, have run a programme called Supporting a Profession Under Pressure, um, because we feel by supporting the medical profession and their work, that has two good outcomes. Firstly, it's just a public good in itself. And secondly, it also helps diminish the amount of regulatory breaches. So, so that's something we're very focused on. In terms of outcome focus. I remember from my time at the Law Society and we had some interesting debates about outcomes focus regulation and lawyers, you know, they're like blacklist law, if you do X then Y will happen and Z then A will happen. And I think you were right to say actually no, we need to be more outcomes focused. What is it to be a good solicitor, a good lawyer? And that should be the approach. And then coming back to the medical profession, we, we have one in good medical practice which is our ethical guidance for doctors. It's quite long but I think it's summed up and it's quite an inspiring thing. Our principle um, admonition to doctors is make the care of your patient your first concern and I think that sort of sums it all up. Excellent, thanks very much. Robert, Patricia. Uh, in my sector um, I think there is a bit of a gap between the inevitably overarching kind of um, rules or guidance or codes that the regulator is going to come up with and the powers of the ombudsman, which tend to be very, very focused. You have to have been the person affected, and then you have to tick quite a lot of legal boxes. And it ends up, <clears throat> takes a long time, and it ends up with not as many people as one would hope getting redress. Um, I hadn't recently thought about bridging that gap, except to think that probably we need to start thinking about the powers of redress. And we're certainly going to need to do that in the um, digital data world, mm. where the harms are going to be so hard to get your hands around, and yet people are going to need a degree of protection. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some, uh, you know, turning, staying with the last bit, the outcome bit, there, there are some um, regulators when you're actually moving into some quite big 
sense of redress and stuff like that, especially if you're in some you know, dealing with multinational companies rather than smaller smaller organisations or practices. Um, so there's a lot that we need to unpack there. And I do wonder, and I'm no expert on this, what is happening in terms of what what more can be done in terms of speed of redress mm -hmm. as well, because I think that's what gives confidence. They, 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 they've got a complaint. They don't want something to take two years to yeah. do. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just, it's done, it's, it's yeah. gone. And many, not, not in the most egregious situations, obviously, but nonetheless, they've had to find a way of moving on. You want, you want that speed. Is there more digital? Is there more tech take up that you can do to actually, which may come back to the leveling up? Because is, is there a regional uh, balance if you're trying to deal with someone in the northwest or the northeast, which you do anyway? I mean, let's face it, we do anyway as regulators. Is there, is there more tech take up that, that can streamline and make um, regulators even more efficient? Great. Well, I think we're coming towards the end, but I think maybe we have time just for 30 or 60 seconds from each panelist to give their their final, their big takeaway from today about, about the role of regulators in levelling up. And we'll just go down the, down the panel. So if Robert, you'd like to start well, I, I think I think it's been a very rich discussion. And it's, it's actually, you know, it, we've learned quite a lot, I think. And what, what really strikes me is there are such different types of regulation, professional regulation, system regulation, economic regulation. And, and clearly there are lots of different nuances in how you do it. But I think we have sort of come to a consensus. I think... I think we've moved away from the heresy. <laughs> <laughs> Anna. Well, I, I, I think there's, it's quite, there's, there's a simple version of this, which is um, that you know, regulation can get in the way of these sorts of things, um, uh, uh, um, and, and that, that isn't a good thing. It's not, not, not a good thing for, uh, for the UK and for the people who, who, who live and work in the UK if there are uh, deep inequalities. Um, uh, and uh, regulation can also be helpful, but it can't do this thing. I mean, go right back to the beginning, I think it was Patricia who said it. Um, you know, these are very difficult questions and they take many levers to be pulled before you get solutions, but um, we have a part to play. Excellent. Patricia? Well, we do seem, um, to my amazement, to be travelling <laughs> in a good direction, but that's because the choice of board of panel members was so inspired, of course. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think that possibly uh, the message has been that regulators, of course, must be close to government and to consumers and citizens in reflecting and understanding and embedding direction. But I hope the message is step back from imposing growth duties by statute <laughs> and do give a medal to your office for AI. Oh yes, yes, yes very good. Very last good. word to you, Paul. Thank you very much. Yeah, it has been a really good uh, discussion, and I, I, I suppose uh, the you know the nature of, of of change that we're looking at will change the landscapes of some, if not all, of your organisations mm -hmm. that you are regulating. And it's really important that regulators continue to flex and adapt for that 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 new future. We can do that in partnership, as we rightly um, explore. Let's do that in partnership. Bring regulators together, learn best practice see what government, um, how government can play a role alongside regulators rather than imposing, exactly as you say, rather than, but also rather than stamping on your independence and giving you loads more jobs to do. Um, so that message is very much heard, but you, it's an open door anyway, frankly. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, levelling up is an exciting thing if we get it right, but I think we don't need it to be led by regulators. We want to work with regulators to make that happen. 
Excellent. Thank you very much. I'm afraid that brings us to the end of the time. Thank you all for coming. Thank you to SRA for sponsoring. And just before we thank the panel, I want to highlight a few other IFG events. We've got a, a packed program coming. Actually, at 10.30 tomorrow, we have three different events that you can choose from. So surely one of them at least fits your boat. One on how the government can rebuild trust and on standards in government. One on how the new prime minister can prioritise the NHS and social care. And one on how government can support innovation to drive levelling up. So please do uh, take one of these and we'd love to see you at some of our other events. But just before we close, please do thank my wonderful panellists.